Hello, and welcome to the Seven Stage Podcast. On today's episode, you'll be hearing a webinar with Jillian Harris, the Assistant Director of the Mission at Emory Law. Jillian starts by telling us about Emory before answering David's questions about her admissions process. Finally, she takes questions from the audience. What I like about her responses is that she doesn't beat around the bush or hide behind ambiguities. She gives straightforward, informative advice that will help you understand both how she approaches the application process and how all missions officers are likely to read your applications. So if you don't know me, I'm David. I'm a partner at Seven Sage, and I am so pleased to host Jillian Harris of Emory Law. Jillian Harris is an assistant director of admissions at Emory University School of Law. She is a native New Yorker who holds an undergraduate degree in economics from Cornell University. Ms. Harris has earned her Juris Doctor from the University of Florida. After law school, she clerked in the Florida State Appellate Court before transitioning into private practice. Ms. Harris practiced in the areas of personal injury and foreclosure defense before joining Emory Law in April 2018. So everyone, please welcome Ms. Harris, and thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Um, Thank you for having me. Um, I just want to briefly... Um, and apologize for the technical difficulties. I'm very happy to be here um, with you in this uh, on this webinar. Um, so, if, for those of you who may not be familiar with Emory Law, you know we're located in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we're about four miles outside of downtown Atlanta. Um, we have a traditional three-year program, so it's full-time. There's no part-time programs or evening or online for our JD program. We have several programs that are kind of more premier programs that attract uh, students from all over the country and all over the world. Um, some of them including our um, transactional program. And that is an opportunity for students who may not be interested in pursuing litigation, um, maybe interested in corporate law, M&A, um, corporate finance. And so you can take those classes or you can take them specifically towards a certificate program upon graduation. Another one of our premier programs is our TIGER program, um, and the focus of that is intellectual property. Some students come in to law school with a STEM background, and they can certainly pursue the patent law track of the program. And then there are some students who don't have a science background. They can do the business technology law track. What the program is, is a partnership with Georgia Tech, where there's a PhD student or another grad student that has a idea for a startup or an invention. And so the student from Emory Law has the legal background for supporting that company that's going to market or that invention that you're trying to bring to market. So that's our TIGER program. Um, All students are required to do trial techniques. And trial techniques is an opportunity for you to flex those litigation skills, learn from practitioners from all of the country and judges in federal on the federal and state level. Um, this program um, occurs during the second year of law school. There are workshops throughout the spring semester. And then after exams, there's a week long training program for a jury trial and a bench trial. And so all students are required to participate in our trial techniques program, whether or not you're interested in litigation. Um, it's certainly a great opportunity for you if you are interested in it and even if you're just interested in the transactional um, aspect of law um, it's good to have those skills in your your toolbox going forward um, in your legal profession a lot of students do come to us because they're interested also in international law so we do have um, several international law courses some focused on human rights 
and others focus more on trade and commerce. And um, we also have an international humanitarian law clinic. Um, so, you know, with Atlanta having those kind of resources as well, um, there's also connections to DC and with national security, there's global security classes that you can take in conjunction with your inter international law courses. We are, have a growing um, community for environmental law in Atlanta. Um, there is our environmental law clinic. Um, they have different um, focuses. Right now, it's more sustainable energy, um, growth of you know natural uh, resources and things like that. So the excuse me, environmental law clinic is a great opportunity for you to pursue um, those interests, as well as of course the class classes that are offered in that area. Um, and another um, important program for us is um, public interest. We have our Center for Public Service. Um, students come to us interested in either working, you know, for the federal uh, state government or um, maybe other nonprofit organizations like the ACLU um, and smaller local um, organizations like Southern Poverty Center. Um, so there's opportunities for you to get involved, um, get pro bono service hours, um, and a certificate upon graduation. We do, outside of our Center for Public Service, we do offer 150 externships. So there's um, a lot of opportunities for you to get some practical experience, um, everywhere from corporate uh, sectors, such as Home Depot, Coca-Cola, Porsche, um, working at a firm, and also opportunities for you, again, work with those public interest organizations that I've mentioned previously. And finally, every student uh, gets the opportunity to have a career advisor that will help you from that first semester to strategize your career, um, make connections with alumni, and really get you focused on um, achieving your professional dreams. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like there's an incredible wealth of opportunities at Emory. And I think my next question is, how do we get in? So that's what I'm going to ask you about next. Um, so I think my first question is just, what's the application process like? What happens after students submit their application um, and the time they hear from you? What's going on behind the scenes? So, our, you know, our application opens in August. Um, we have a priority deadline of March 1st. And so that means that you're guaranteed a decision if you apply by March 1st. Um, typically, I recommend that students apply by December because we really start reviewing applications in November, December, and we start issuing our first decisions in January, the end of January through April. Just because you, you know, applied in August doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the first to, to get a decision. Um, we certainly review all the applications, you know, with our staff and then our review notes and the application goes to our um, admission committee and our scholarship committee for consideration. And certainly, you know, some of the best students are the ones that are gonna be admitted first. So um, the process, as much as I can disclose, is really um, looking at the whole application. It's holistic and you'll hear holistic a lot when you speak to um, law schools. Of course, your, um, your LSAT score is important and how you did in your undergraduate career is very important. But you know, we're really looking at the entire student. So we're making sure that you're not only successful inside the classroom, that you're gonna be successful outside. So what have you been involved in? What kind of leadership roles have you taken on? Um, you know, what kind of professional experience you've had? So all those things are really what we're looking at um, from the moment that we review your application. 
Um, we only review complete applications. So some students will ask us um, whether or not you can take a first look at it. And if I, I, I can supplement it later, we only look at it that one time, um, unless you're placed on the wait list, then we might look at it again. So um, I would only recommend for you to submit it um, and be ready for it to be reviewed when you feel comfortable and, and confident with your application. That is helpful. So you mentioned that you're looking for students who are going to succeed inside the classroom and outside the classroom. Um, you specifically mentioned professional experience and leadership roles. Does that mean, though, that if a student hasn't done a lot of um, uh, extracurricular activities, maybe because she was working, or if she hasn't taken a lot of leadership positions, that she's going to be at a disadvantage in the admissions process? Right. So I wouldn't use the word disadvantage. Um, certainly, uh, we're going to look at look at that slightly. Like you know, we'll see the work that you've done in the classroom. Sometimes people will explain in addendums that you know I've had to to work while in school or something like that, and that's why. I haven't had the opportunity to really be as involved as I'd like to be, um, but there, you know, pe most people should have, you know, some sort of aspirations to what they want to do with this degree. So if you were to explain, these are the reasons why I still want to go to law school, even though I haven't had the opportunity to be involved in um, leadership roles, you know, that will definitely to be taken into consideration. So I wouldn't use the word disadvantage. I think that, you know, students can present a full picture of themselves even if they don't have some specific components. That makes sense. Um, and let's turn to the personal statement specifically. So I guess, you know, I'm going to ask a question that is maybe stupid, but why do you want a personal statement? I, I mean, seriously, like what, what can you learn from it? Um, you know, if a student is just talking about herself and, and how does that help you figure out if she's going to be um, a good candidate in your law school? Well, so um, we don't we don't give interviews. Um, and so that's kind of the way for us to get to know you, you know, what you're passionate about, um, what you hope to accomplish, maybe with a degree, um, you know, what your background is, just to kind of get a full picture of who you are, and how you can possibly contribute to the Emory Law community. And, um, you know, numbers say one thing, but you know, we still want to see who you are as a person. We know that, um, you know, people who have um, had different experience have will have some different um, things to contribute to the community. So say you um, you worked for someone in corporate America and some sort of like financial background. When you come in, if you want to do transactional law, you'll have a different perspective than a student that just came straight out of undergrad. Um, with their um, bachelor's in business. So you'll you'll have something different to contribute to the classroom. And so those are the ways that we learn it. We learn it through the resume, we learn it through the things that you say in your personal statement. Can a student write a successful personal statement if she doesn't talk about her professional experience? For example, if she were to talk about the lessons that she has learned from an experience of depression or what juggling taught her about life or something like that? Yes, I mean, some students have been very creative with their personal statement, um, you know, compare, like say, comparing, you know, the process of applying to law school, like juggling or something. It shows us your creativity. It shows us that you think outside the box and that, you know, possibly when you come to the school, 
you'll have an idea to start an organization or a clinic because you're thinking outside of the box in just your, the way that you write and the way that you express yourself. So there's different ways to um, get, let us get to know you in the personal statement that aren't the traditional, um, I interned at a law firm and I really like environmental law. And so that's why I'm doing this, which is perfectly fine. Um, but we, again, we want to have a good mix of people who are gonna think along those traditional lines and then some who are also gonna think outside the box so that you know the classroom discussions will be lively and you'll get to learn not only from the professors, but from your peers. I would imagine though on the, on the other side that it's possible to go a little too far if you're trying to be outside the box. Um, so yeah, so I mean, do you think it's fair to say that it's probably like a bad idea to write a poem or, you know, a series of limericks, even if it's creative? Right. I would think that would be too, too far, um, field of what we're looking to achieve. I mean, we still need to be able to follow along clearly what you're trying to say. Um, and the, the balance between creativity is that some people are good at it and some aren't. So, you know, you wouldn't want to try to be funny in your personal statement um, because you never know who's going to be reading it and they might not think it's funny what you're saying. So um, there's a there's a balance between being creative and still being clear and concise. Um, that's part of being a lawyer. Um, and so if that's something that you're skilled at, then you can try your hand at it. The one thing I would say about personal statements is to make sure that somebody who isn't necessarily your friend or your roommate should read it or your parent. They should read someone who will give you an honest um, evaluation of the personal statement and feedback um, and won't be afraid to tell you, you know, bluntly that, hey, this doesn't make sense or um, I can't follow what you're trying to say uh, because that way you can adjust it depending on the feedback. And it wouldn't be just kind of, you know, you're great and your personal statement's great. And then when it comes to us, you know, there's a different opinion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Emory has a fairly open-ended application. So you ask uh, for a personal statement, and then you have this other information. And, and it says something like, if there's anything else you want to tell us, uh, go ahead and tell us. And I, I think that that um, makes some students wonder how much it's appropriate to send and, and what it's appropriate to send. So maybe we can just explore that question a little bit. My first question specifically is, um, is Emory open or are you open to diversity statements from students who don't meet what we could call traditional definitions of diversity? So for example, if they don't come from an underrepresented group? I always say with diversity statements, so we accept diversity statements and we accept a, a why Emory statement. Um, with both those statements, I think it's important to keep in mind if you've already kind of shared who you are in mainly its entirety in your personal statement, there's no need for a diversity statement. The diversity statement, um, in my opinion, is there if you have in your personal statement expressed, for example, um, that maybe my best friend in high school had a disability and I've always had an affinity to help students with, or people with disabilities. And so that's why I want to pursue, you know, disability law. Your um, diversity statement may be in addition to that, something like, you know, I come from an economic background where I had to work since I was 15. I had to put myself through um, 
through undergrad. I've been working to save for law school. And so we can see where you may not be coming through the traditional path that you've had to work a little bit harder. Um, so if, if you have something additional to say outside of your personal statement, whatever that may be, something that sets you apart, it may not be necessarily from an underrepresented group, but something that would set you apart from what would most people would think is a traditional path to law school that you haven't already, already expressed in your personal statement, then you certainly can express that in a diversity statement. Again, the whole, the whole point of most of the electronic application is to get to know who you are, um, what your goals are, what you're passionate about, and, and see how the class that we're putting together, how would you fit into that class? That makes sense. So does it seem like a lack of effort then if, if students don't submit another essay other than the personal statement, or is that totally fine? Well, that's totally fine. I mean, it's optional. Um, you wouldn't want to submit an, um, an essay or per optional essay that's just kind of regurgitating things that are already in your personal statement or in your resume. Um, again, it's only there if you feel like you still have something to add. And what about, um, you mentioned that some students write a Y Emory essay. So is that always a plus or does that sometimes backfire? The only way I can think of it backfiring is if you're saying Y Emory, but somewhere in the statement, you're talking about another school <laughs> um, or, or talking about a program that we don't have, um, a focus area that we don't have. Um, but again, if you, in your personal statement, sometimes it naturally flows, like say, um, I'm an immigrant, I'm interested in immigration law, and you have an immigration law clinic, and that's why I want to come to Emory. So sometimes it just naturally flows with your personal statement. But if it does not, then that's an opportunity, again, for you to tell us why specifically you want to come to Emory. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. And I'm also wondering what sort of factors Emory might feel like need to be or ought to be explained. So for example, if someone has a, a gap of three months, say, on their resume between professional experiences, does that deserve an addendum or does that not even make you raise your eyebrow? Um, I kind of, it depends on where they are in, in their life. I mean, if you're closer to undergrad, like you're, you know, just recent graduate and you had a two, three month gap, that's not as much of a deal as if you've been working for several years and there's a gap, you know, what happened during that time, um, that might be something you want to explain. Um, certainly we ask if there are gaps in education for you to explain that. Um, but on your resume, if you're, you know, sometimes, you know, students take a year off before and they just study for the bar, excuse me, the bar, they study for the LSAT um, or they travel. So things like that, when you're closer to undergrad, um, you know, depending on how long the break is, um, you may not necessarily need to explain, but if you're further along your career and there's a gap, you may want to just drop a paragraph to explain why there is a gap. What if there's a score gap in the LSAT? Does that deserve an explanation? And what if the explanation is just, I did better? Right. It depends on, you know, it depends on the gap. I would say like, if it's a few points and, you know, I, I can't like categorize like five, six points, but if it's a few points, then, um, you know, there really is no, no need for an addendum, but, you know, I've seen like, 10 points or more, you know what I mean? Something like that, maybe you would want to say, I opted for a private tutor and that's fine, you know, just to kind of explain it, you know, everybody fluctuates. Sometimes you, 
you know, go back and forth. I say you take it four times and you've gone up and down, you know, that's just the nature of the beast, you know? So we understand that there's no need to explain that. But if there's a gap that is very significant, um, you may want to, um, you may want to address that. So sometimes these questions of resume gaps and LSAT gaps dovetail because the, there are students who just take time off from work um, to study for the LSAT. Does, does that reflect badly on their application if they take five, six months, a year off to just devote themselves to the LSAT? No, no, it doesn't. Great. Um, it's good to have certainty because so many times the answers from admissions officers, well, it depends. So uh, I think it's reassuring to hear just, no, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, I also have some questions about undergraduate experience, and you touched on that when you said that you know you're you're interested in students' leadership positions and their extracurricular activities. But what about their major? Does that factor into your decision? And specifically, you know, what if they majored in a field that um, probably resulted in them getting a lower GPA? Would you take that into account if, for example, they're an engineer and their, you know, their GPA is maybe a little bit lower than your median or some other students. Um, we certainly, we certainly will look at that because we know traditionally um, those hard sciences are um, the grading curve is tends to be a little bit lower. Okay. What, what advice would you give to a freshman who knows that she wants to apply to law school as a senior? Actually, I get that question more often than you would think. So uh, I think the biggest thing to do is to focus on your grades. Um, you know, I always tell students, you can't go back necessarily and you can't go back and change that. Of course, in, in undergrad, you have presumably four years to make your GPA as strong as possible. Um, but the focus your first year of college, even if you know you're gonna go to law school, is just to make sure your um, your GPA, your the courses you're taking are challenging and your GPA is as strong as possible. Um, and then also think about, you know, organizations and things that you're passionate about. So it might not all only be law. There might be other areas that you're interested in, you know, get, get involved, um, um, try to take on some leadership roles and really show us that you, you're you're committed to something and that you can help make whatever it is that you're interested in grow to build your resume, take advantage of your summer experiences um, to learn more about the law. Um, you might not necessarily have to go work for a law firm, but um, maybe like a legal aid society or volunteering somewhere where you can understand some of the aspects of the law, really make a decision of whether or not this is something you want to pursue. Um, not all your professional experiences have to be in the law, but if you have more time, it's good to kind of explore that to make sure this is the right decision for you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so my last couple questions are just going to be about a situation that some of our students might find themselves in right now, uh, which is that they either may be waitlisted or maybe they just haven't heard from a school. So my first question on that topic is, if a student hasn't heard at all yet from, say, Emory, can they write a letter of continuing interest or or should they just wait until they get, uh, you know, a decision one way or the other? Um, at this point, they can write a letter of continuing interest. They'd like definitely, if you're waitlisted, you should write a letter of continuing interest. You should visit the school that you're interested in. Um, you know, 
obviously we put out a lot of great photos of the school, but you know, you should come and see it. See if you feel comfortable uh, here. Um, meet with some of our students, chat with them, get to know them. Um, it's a good way to see if you do get the good news of being admitted that you know, you'll be making the right decision. Um, but you certainly can submit a letter of continued interest um, you know, going forward, um, especially if you're waitlisted. Is there an optimal time to submit a letter of continuing interest or does it not matter at all when you submit it? I think it'd probably be a good idea to wait until to see if you're waitlisted. Um, but there's no, there's no hard and fast rule, at least not at Emory. And do you have any advice for students who do come for a visit? Should they stop by the admissions office? Is there anything that they ought to do to make the most of their visit? Sure. So we ask students to sign up for visits on our website. Um, tip, we have prospect tours on Thursdays. We have admitted students tours on Tuesdays and Fridays. And if one of those days don't work for you, we usually try to um, accommodate your visit, especially if you're from out of town and you have limited you know, we try our best to make sure that you have a pleasant visit and you get to meet with um, some students. So we're going to open it up to some questions now. If you have a question, I'd like you to raise your hand. Unfortunately, Ms. Harris might not be able to hear you, so I'm probably going to have to be the go-between. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll see if we can make it work. So please do raise your hand, and I would love to call on you, and I'll pass your questions along. So Sal, you are up first, and you can go ahead and ask your question. Hi, I'm not sure how I ended up raising my hand, but I will go ahead and ask a question that I've been sitting on for a while. Oh, okay, um, thanks. <laughs> um, I know that as an admissions officer, you see a lot of you know, personal statements come in and at some point they can seem to be, well, they, they tend to take the same structure and like kind of like storyline. Um, so I guess at some point, what, or at least like, what would you recommend for people to change in their personal statement or include in their personal statement in order to stand out while still, you know, submitting something that's of quality? Um, as I mentioned before, some people, you know, if you have a talent for creativity, you know, some people I've, I've read them where someone talked about, um, you know, preparing for a race or training a dog. I mean, there's just so many different things that people talk about as, you know, explaining why, what led them to apply to law school or what they're hoping to do in the future. Um, so certainly those things are memorable because they're different. Uh, but what I always find satisfying, but it's not something you know, that creative is, um, when people know why and can clearly state what they're hoping to do, um, that's always great. And um, I love to see the passion, you know, that they have for whatever they're hoping to do. So, you know, as again, I get, go back to whether or not it's like immigration law or environmental law. I mean, it's not to say that um, if you don't know what type of law that you want to pursue, that it's not going to be a good statement. Um, sometimes people just know that they they want to be an advocate for a certain group of people um, or that you know they've always been um, along the lines of you know helping the community and this is just another way for them to, to help the community so I like to see the progression of you know why you're hoping to do this what you're hoping to do with this degree that's always great that's always stands out no matter what the goal is behind it okay Ravi oh hey David 
my question was, uh, I know some law schools give preference to uh, their undergraduate students if you've been to that particular university before. So uh, my question was, does Emory, uh, uh, does the Emory Law School give, uh, or Emory Law Admissions Committee give any sort of preference to their, you know, previous undergrad students? Um, they don't get any preference. No, I mean, we certainly like to see double eagles, um, but on the basis of the, obviously we're familiar with the students from um, Emory College because they're right there on the campus. But outside of that, they don't necessarily get any preference. Um, you know, we we're looking at them the same way that we're looking at other students from other schools. Timothy. Yeah, hi, thank you. Um, first off, thanks for doing this. Uh, my question is, uh, due to their eligibility for the GI Bill, is there a different criteria for assessing veteran applicants for scholarships? There isn't a different criteria. There, you know, there isn't. I mean, like there, the scholarship, the merit scholarship um, award is just based on the strength of your application. So um, your LSAT, your coursework, GPA, your professional experience, um, um, you know, any kind of leadership role you've had, et cetera, your, you know, what people have said about you in your letters of recommendation. Um, all of that goes into account for your scholarship. And it, if you have outside resources, that's not gonna affect your scholarship. Um, the one thing I would say also is that we do give, and this might be one of your questions coming up, but we do give um, fee waivers to veterans and active military. Oh, good to know. Yeah, great, thank you. And we do have yellow, we have yellow ribbon as well. Great. Participate in yellow ribbon. Okay. Uh, Thanks for asking a question, Timothy. Juan, I'm going to call on you, and you can unmute yourself and ask your question. Okay, great. Good evening. Um, quick question. I'm a non-traditional student, and I my question is, I, other than the LSAT, how much weight is given to um, multiple degrees? For example, I have two undergraduate degrees and a master's degree. Um, I've been wanting to go to law school for a long time, and I uh, just want to see how much weight is put on the admission committee for a non-traditional student that has multiple uh, degrees, uh, professional degrees uh, and work experience? Um, certainly we love to see students or prospective students who have graduate level degrees already. Again, I think it goes more to what I was saying before, you know, we see the value that you're gonna add to the class. So classroom discussion, um, you know, to your future classmates. And so that does, um, we do take that into account. That being said, it's all a balance in the holistic review. So we certainly are gonna be looking at your grades in undergrad um, and looking at your, your LSAT score and balance that with the fact that you've done, you know, graduate work. Some people have done research, some people have been published, you know, so we're gonna balance all of that when deciding whether or not to admit you, but we do value what you'll be bringing to the classroom if admitted. Uh, Juan, I hope that answers your question, and thanks for asking. It does. Thank you. Okay. Tejal, you are allowed to unmute yourself and ask your question. Hi. Thank you. Um, I was curious about what it should look like if you were to include an addendum um, within your application, specifically if you might want to talk about a change in your LSAT score. Just curious what you might be looking for in terms of what ought to be included in that. Right, so sometimes people will do LSAT addendums um, to explain the drop in a score or a canceled score. And so they'll, you know, they'll explain that something happened with the test conditions, either they lost power or 
Um, somebody actually said one time that somebody was arrested during their testing. So there's, you know, there's certain, I would say you do the addendum if something really affected your score, you were sick, something like that, um, you may just want to briefly, no more than a couple sentences, explain that. You know, you don't have to necessarily go into too much detail because we'll, we'll we take the highest score. So if you have a score that's better than um, the score that everything, where everything went wrong, then you'll be fine. Or if you want to retake it, we're certainly not going to hold that previous score against you. Tejal, does that answer your question or do you have any follow-ups? Uh, that answers it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much for asking. Penny, you can unmute yourself and ask your question. Hi, I was just um, wondering, um, some rumors are saying that the LSAT is weighted heavily up to 75% of the decision over the GPA. And I was just wondering if that was true or um, what her uh, recommendation on that would be. I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for any other school, but that's not true for us. Another definite answer. Penny, does that answer your question? Uh, yes, it does. Okay, thanks. Hi, Zakir. You can unmute yourself and ask your question. Hey, David. Um, thanks uh, for doing this. Um, so I'm interested in uh, joint degree programs, especially Emory's uh, JD MBA program. And I know how intense they can be. So would the joint degree program still allow students to participate in summer job opportunities? And like what type of, especially through that program, like what type of opportunities have they gotten? So that is something that I'd have to have you email me or I could, I guess, get, get your information from David to follow up with because um, the career, our career advisors work with our students and then also the career advisors from our boys at a school are gonna work with um, people doing the joint degree. So um, I can speak for law students. They typically will have either um, an externship their first summer and um, hopefully a paid internship their second summer. Um, but in terms of specifically those in the joint degrees that I would have to do some research and get back to you about. Okay, um, I will connect you two after the webinar. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Okay, thanks for asking your questions, Akir. Um, let's go to Pavithra. You can unmute yourself and ask your question. Hey, hi, David. Thanks for um, hosting this. My pleasure question for you about letters of recommendation. Um, so my, my first question is, what is the ADCOM view um, on academic versus professional letters of recommendation in general? And my second part of that question, or my second question is, um, I've been out of school for about two, two and a half years now. Or do I need to provide a professional letter of recommendation. I kind of don't want to tell my boss or my colleagues um, yet, uh, you know, for whatever reason. Um, so I'm wondering like what, what weight is placed on that? Um, so in general, if you are straight out of undergrad or recent grad within like say three, two, three years, um, we would prefer to at least have one academic reference. Um, if you're out of undergrad for, or out of school, I shouldn't say undergrad only because say you're in a grad, you're in graduate work and you want to get a recommendation from, you know, a graduate professor, that's fine as well. But if you're away from an academic setting for more than like three, three years or so, um, it's perfectly fine to have two professional references as opposed to a professional and academic. And you can certainly always have 
to academic uh, references at any time. Okay. Well, Pavitra, hopefully your boss and your colleagues are not at this webinar. So um, yeah, I'll still on the download. <laughs> okay. Good luck. Let's go to David. You can unmute yourself and ask your question. Thanks so much. I actually had a really similar question to um, Pavitra's. Um, I'll be walking into law school with around like four years of work experience. Um, but I still feel like I have really strong relationships with my professors. Um, and I guess I'm kind of asking the inverse question of Pavitra's, but would it be alarming per se if I didn't get a professional letter of recommendation from you know, a colleague or boss? Um, just knowing that academic letters of recommendation are you know, strongly preferred and I still have strong relationships, would you recommend um, kind of using leveraging those to fill up my letters of recommendation. Um, and yeah, just wouldn't be alarming if I didn't have a professional letter of recommendation, knowing that I've been out for, you know, X, X many years. What are you doing right now, David? Yeah, I'm just, I'm in sales. You know, obviously because the school, we prefer the academic ones, right? Um, but sometimes people can't get them. So it's more the other way around where you cannot get an academic one where, you know, people are usually concerned, but if you have two academic references, that's fine. Great. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Hi, Badushi. You can unmute yourself. Uh, thank you, David, for holding this, uh, webinar and Ms. Harris for joining us. So I am an international student from Nepal and I was just wondering how the admissions perceives international students who have graduated from a U.S. institution. Um, and my second question is, uh, what makes international students attractive to admissions committees? Um, and especially how that can be communicated through their personal statements. Um, I, I don't, the process is really that different. Again, it's the same kind of evaluation is what are you, what are you bringing outside of the academic portion of it? you know, what are you bringing to the table? Like, what are your experiences that are going to be bringing to the table to share with your classmates in your class um, conversations? Um, you know, um, obviously living in another country is is very valuable. And so the that aspect of it, you know, if that's something that is drawing you to law school, you can certainly put that in your personal statement. You can put that in a diversity statement. Um, you know, we value having that mix in um, in our classroom. Okay, thank you. Samuel, you can unmute yourself and ask your question. Uh, I was wondering, say a school gives you an answer on a wait list down the line, but you're still waiting on others. Is there typically like a hard deadline you get during that period where they let you know that you've been admitted from a wait list? Typically it's a shorter deadline because there's less time. So, you know, there, you know, we start classes in August. Um, our wait list, you know, we, we select from the wait list throughout the summer. So at the time that we're you know, trying to fill in, you know, those gaps in our class with people from the wait list, we're, we're on kind of a shorter time schedule. So there, there isn't much opportunity for you to weigh your options. You at that point would need to be fairly sure where you'd want to go um, and, and make that decision. Okay, thank you. So unfortunately, we are out of time now. But you all had great questions, and I hope that Ms. Harris's answers were helpful, even if you didn't get to ask your question. I know that I learned a lot just from listening to you, and so I just want to thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for your time. I hope you have uh, a great evening, everyone, and uh, Ms. Harris, thank you again for coming. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Have a good night, everyone.
Hello, it's JY again. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please give us a rating on iTunes or Google Play. And if you're looking for more information about law school admissions, head on over to sevenstage.com slash admissions.